This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, and welcome back to HR in Review. On this episode, we discuss the future of remote and hybrid work, the feasibility of a four-day working week, and also whether employers have the right to mandate their workers to fully return back to the office after spending so long working from home since the pandemic. My first guest is Andy Britt, who leads IBM's UKI talent transformation practice. I'm then joined by Desiree Pasquale, Chief People Experience Officer at Headspace Health, where we discuss the all-important well-being aspect of both remote working and returning back to the office. My last guest is Jane Christopher, who's part of the senior leadership team at Citrix. Hi, Andy. Thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Great, Emilio. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be with you today. Cool. So today we're going to be talking about the future of hybrid and remote working and the transition back into the office post lockdowns. Um, you know, with many organisations implementing hybrid and remote working models, even post pandemic, employers and employees now have different requirements and needs from their office bases. With employers still recognising the benefits of being in an office, flexibility has become a key priority. So, first of all, why do you think this topic is now an issue for organisations in the public and private sector? Well, obviously, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic was a major disruptive uh, event for businesses, you know, across public and private sector. And certainly in most modern economies, obviously the UK included, you know, organisations are having to adjust to the economic realities of the post-pandemic world. And it's worth remembering that the pandemic was a rapid and forced transformation. So all, all organisations had to react almost overnight and switch to a new way of working, you know, or suspend operations and furlough their workers. And as a result, it forced them to adopt a fully remote way of working. So mm. virtual working, you know, became the only way to continue operations and keep your employees safe or compliant with uh, you know, travel bans or work from home mandates. And so that, in essence, was it. Remote working became the default and the only way of working. And so post-pandemic, you know, now the travel bans are lifted, you know, businesses are trying to work out, well, what do we do now? Do we stick to the remote m- model, go back to where we were before, or do we come up with some hybrid model that, you know, meets the needs of the business, the expectations of our customers, and the wishes of our employees. Mm, Exactly. So, you know, over the past two years, what do you think this has actually taught us about how work gets done then? Well, I think it's actually challenged some of our understanding or idea of the rules of of work and workplace productivity. In many cases, some of those things we believe to be true were not actually uh, universally true or perhaps were less black and white. For example, we used to say, you know, the office is the place where you're most productive. Or we'd say, you know, only face to face engagement is going to drive the commitment or the change or the ownership we need to move forward. We we often used to say in, in, in my business, you have to be in the room to seal the deal or you need to be in person to build trust. Now, I think we've learned that actually these things aren't always true. You know, work and business can continue virtually. And so, you know, we've had to learn how to conduct and get the most out of online meetings. You know, some might say we've actually become 
a lot more productive as we've stripped out, you know, travel and commuting time. So, you know, we've looked, we've learned how to work remotely, run online meetings, participate in, in virtual training and still maintain uh, productivity. And of course, you could argue we've all used or we've all learnt where the mute and the camera button is on our PC. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, moving on to those who are actually are returning to the office then. Um, with the rising cost of living crisis and full swing, many employees feel that they actually can't even afford to return to the office five days a week, right? So, you know, whilst there might be an argument that organisations can mandate their, org- their employees to return to the office, maybe a more important question is perhaps should organisations be able to mandate their employees to return? You know, there are numerous benefits surrounding remote and hybrid working. But even from a psychological perspective, it seems perhaps a little unfair to make this sudden switch. Yeah, and this has been a particular prominent topic uh, in, in the media in the UK, where you know mm. our, our prime minister and members of the cabinet were you know actively advocating for members of the civil service uh, to return yes. to the office, and they were even suggesting, I think, publishing league tables or of attendance to challenge government departments or individuals about how much time they needed to um, be back in the office. Now, in practice, on the mandate question, I think it's going to be difficult for employers to uh, enforce this. I mean, for legal reasons, you know, unless you can clearly demonstrate in law that the work cannot reasonably or effectively be conducted remotely, then I think it's going to be difficult to uh, mandate it, you know, other than Mm. for some obvious customer facing rules, such as in the retail industry or the travel industry. I think for many businesses, it's going to be difficult to argue that a person's role demands them being in the office if that role has been conducted, you know, remotely now for over two years. So for, for legal reasons, but I also think it's going to be difficult for employees to mandate a return to work for reputational reasons. I mean, no large organisation wants to be seen forcing its employees to do anything, Mm. you know, particularly when there's been such a focus on issues like mental health and well-being. I think few employers will want to issue, uh, you know, a back to office mandate that might be seen by some as detrimental to uh, people's mental health. So that's why I think the consensus among business leaders is much more towards persuasion rather than than mandate. And the way that I've heard many business leaders and particularly CHROs or HR leaders address this problem is to is to pose the question, how can we entice people back into the office or how do we make the office a place where our people feel they can get their best work done or where they'll find the best support coaching? or development for their careers. I mean, in short, I think business leaders are trying to think through how do we make the workplace environment buzz again so that our employees will want to return to to, to the office. And I think this way of thinking is important because I think we're experiencing a shift in societal attitudes to working from the office. I think employees now expect or indeed demand the freedom to work from home as well as work in the office and some commentators are seeing this as a a power shift a power shift to the employee and start of this year IBM conducted some research and we asked employees their views you know what do you think and when we asked them the question about uh, you know if you you know if you were given the choice what would you do 
you know, we found that roughly two thirds would prefer to either work from home full time or do a balance of working from home and working in the office. And then we also found out that about a third of employees had already decided to switch uh, employers. And the main reason for doing so was that their employers didn't offer sufficient flexibility in their work schedule or location. So that's why I think this issue, the flexibility around uh, remote or hybrid working, is going to become much more important, particularly in the market we're in at the moment, which is a supplier-driven market, so a highly competitive market uh, for talent. So I think firms are going to choose to persuade rather than mandate. Exactly. So, you know, I guess moving on to what hybrid or remote working looks like in the future, what sort of advice would you give to firms as they map out their own policies and guidance on on work location? Well, the first thing that we would say to uh, to, to our clients and our uh, organisations that we serve at IBM is is you need to meet employees in the middle. You know, given that, you know, employees do value the, you know, the time and cost savings uh, of working from home. Um, and that they want more flexibility. You know, we think organisations need to, you know, recognise that that has to be part of their employee value proposition, what they offer to clients. They can't just push everyone back into the office. So offer flexibility. Um, The second thing we'd advise organisations do is to structure the hybrid model or define what you know, hybrid working means for your organisation. So you need to redefine what coming into the office to work actually means. So in future, you know, employees are going to be far more intentional uh, as to when and why they come into the office. So you don't just come into the office to work, you come in to collaborate on a project or you come in to explore and innovate around a specific problem or task. Mm. You come in for a team meeting or project review. You don't just come in to work an available hot desk or to sit in a in a cubicle. Yes. So, you know, if you think that, you know, you're kind of changing the way you're coming or why you're going into the office, do you think that the actual landscape of what workplaces look like will change itself then? Um, yes, I think uh, workplaces are going to have to be reconfigured mm. so that they can enable people to you know collaborate innovate and plan all the things that physical location encourages they can do that better in the offices you know workplaces are going to have to be worth the commute so you know got to be great working environments i think companies will have to make more imaginative use of their existing spaces so i think we're going to move away from the traditional office which is sort of you know open plan and cubicles mm. and instead you're going to have a variety of meeting areas creative spaces quiet rooms discussion areas breakout cubicles you know show and tell demo environments um, you know that's all going to be part of the modern office and of course you know because people are coming into the office less potentially you can use your existing space much more creatively And of course, with all that, you're going to need some smarter technology that enables remote employees to participate as fully as those in the room. So I guess just two more questions for you before we wrap up for today, which we ask all our guests on the HR Review podcasts. Uh, Firstly, if you could pass on one crucial lesson you've learned in your HR career in one minute or less, uh, what would be your top tip for other HR pros? 
So HR professionals are always accused of not understanding the business or not being close enough to the strategy of the organization. So the first thing I would say, if you're an HR professional, understand how your business makes money. How is it that you generate revenue, sales, uh, generate profit? And make sure that everything that you do in HR has a direct link um, or connection to that source of revenue generation and profit generation for the firm. Absolutely, yeah. Lastly then, what is the single biggest change you think will happen in HR over the next five to ten years? I think that artificial intelligence and automation will not only strip out administrative work from the role of the HR professional, I think that I think it's going to make us uh, um, more intelligent in our decision making. It's going to give us greater insights into the people to hire, who we need to train and how we develop and press pro- progress our people. So artificial intelligence and automation, I think, is going to create a new way of doing HR. And as HR professionals, we need to be prepared for it and need to reimagine HR with those exponential technologies uh, to assist us yeah great well you know that leads me to say andy lovely to chat to you today thanks very much for being my guest follow us on twitter at hr review or join us on linkedin and facebook so hi des thank you so very much for joining me today um, i'm super excited to have you here on the podcast and Likewise, thank you for having me. No worries. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the future of hybrid and remote working and the transition back into uh, the office post lockdown. Um, So today, you know, I'll just, you know, maybe you'd like to briefly outline Headspace's report called Workforce Attitudes Towards Mental Health and what it's focused on. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, Our Workforce Attitudes report is a report that we run annually. Um, And as a mental health and wellness solutions provider, we know that there's not only a huge need, but also a huge appetite among our workforce for mental and emotional well-being support. The goal of our Mm -hmm. survey year over year is to really dig in and understand the current experiences, challenges, and trends in emotional and mental health in our workforces, uh, straight from employees and CEOs across various industries uh, in the US. And this year, our report surveyed 5,400 employees and 506 CEOs across the United States, the UK, uh, Australia, and Germany. Oh, wow. Sounds super interesting. (laughs) So obviously, you know, most organizations now are asking their employees to return back into the office full time, sometimes maybe hybrid. Um, but, you know, at the moment, with the rising cost of living in full swing, many workers fear that they simply, you know, can't afford to commute to the office five days a week. Um, what do you think employers should or can be doing to tackle this financial well-being issue? Yeah, you know, the the hybrid culture, workplace culture Um, is something that we've seen emerge throughout the pandemic. And as you you stated, it it was an unexpected relief in many ways, including financial relief. Um, um, For for many, working remotely has been just a boon for for their mental health. Uh, It eliminated 
a lot of the stressors that came with a more traditional model of work, such as the stress of commuting, the cost of commuting, uh, the pressure of putting in more time in the office to meet deadlines. People now had more flexibility um, to structure their work day in a way that also spoke to some of the needs that they may have at home in the context of their lives and their families. Um, and all of those uh, things allowed employees to explore more opportunities to improve their health and wellness because of this new flexibility uh, at Headspace Health, also better health outcomes. Um, do you think, you know, could employers should play a, a bigger role in ensuring that their employees are well supported in these types of situations? I, I love that question. And I think the answer is yes. As employers, <laughs> we have to rethink the way we do business. One thing that I think is apparent to all of us who went through um, this time of complete isolation uh, during some stress stretches due to the pandemic was that um, collectively we found ourselves spending much more time each day in virtual meetings on chats and messages and on emails. Uh, collectively, this constant technological connection uh, can be overwhelming and it leads directly to burnout. And we've seen that uh, across industries. Um, so I think, you know, if I were to give you a couple of bullet points of what I think employers uh, might uh, pay attention to uh, is one, ex establish expectations for the way communication tools are used. Um, they can help improve the way information is shared, but they can also be very distracted, distracting when they're not used intentionally. Um, Additionally, I think it's really, really important for leaders and for managers to clearly define goals, um, establishing a regular cadence, um, to uh, review them, to give and receive feedback, um, all of that um, in a hybrid culture bolsters feelings of trust and inclusion, and it helps managers adjust priorities and inspires employees to produce their best work. Prioritization is also something. Making sure priorities are clearly defined and understood by, by teams, uh, those things help stay everyone aligned in a hybrid work environment. I also think um, the other piece, and I may be prefacing one of your questions here, Amelia, <laughs> is that it's crucial to keep a level playing field between remote and on-site uh, employees and teams. You know, just going back a little bit to what you were saying on, on distraction and prioritization and goal settings, um, I know myself, I actually work remotely myself, and um I, you know, I do these things myself as well. So do you, how do you think, you know, goal setting and prioritization that might feed into discussions about productivity? Because, you know, working remotely, I think there are so many more distractions going on around you, right? Um, yes and no. Uh, there are uh, distractions going on around you as, you know, some people, depending on their, their, their living situations and their uh, from home um work setups, uh, there may be some distractions. However, what it also does 
it allows employees to manage those distractions and, you know, set aside blocks of time to tend to either work meetings, deep focused thinking um, blocks, we call them focus time, um, and then block out other parts of the day to tend to things that may be uh, going on around the home and then being really explicit Uh, about what those needs are in collaboration with their managers and their teams. But, um, you know, what I've seen when that is done well, it doesn't necessarily mean that productivity drops um, because people may be in their home environment. Um, I think I've seen quite the opposite, that productivity can uh, go up as a result of that flexibility. Um, as you mentioned initially in our uh, conversation, we talked about you know time spent commuting. Uh, all of that is now time that can be reallocated, though, um, to your question. I think we have to be really intentional about how we do that. Establish core meeting hours is one way to do that, uh, to make sure that people arrange their schedules such that they're available at those times. Um, things like that can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, you know, moving on to maybe more remote working away from hybrid a little bit. Um, you know, one of the main advantages of remote working is perhaps that more wider, disparate talent pools become available, right, as recruiting nationally or even internationally becomes a feasible option. Um, do you think that giving employees a chance to work remotely is a long-term approach to combat the ongoing current skills shortage? Uh, very Brief and concise answer, yes, I do. Um, To get really good at remote working infinitely widens our talent pools. It also, um, from a perspective of diversity, equity, inclusion, and providing opportunities, provides um, opportunities for people who may live uh, in remote or rural areas that otherwise wouldn't be available to contribute um, to our organizations to do so. Yes, because in the in the UK, we're talking about, um, you know, the London brain drain. And um, I'm thinking that, you know, perhaps, you know, the effects of the pandemic and the feasibility of remote working will maybe maybe even put a stop to this London brain drain, you know. Um, But, you know, still talking about recruitment, I think, um, you know, recruiting in this new age where hybrid and remote working are definitely more popular. you know, do you think recruitment methods might need to change in this new age in any way? Absolutely, uh, Amelia. I think, and I don't know that they need to fundamentally change, but we certainly need to uh, adjust some of our recruiting practices. Um, one of the things that I think is really important for talent acquisition professionals is uh, to find a way to um assess and really dig in with a candidate on uh, remote work working practices and what that may look like because quite frankly not everybody is comfortable operating in that model there are also some industries that do not lend themselves to remote work you know people who work at the front lines either in the medical profession or um, the hospitality industries um, that aside, um, you know, in industries that may lend themselves to remote work, um, but, you know, and I'm thinking uh, about um, designers, um, highly creative folks 
who are also highly collaborative, um, to um, just bring some discernment into the into the process to see is this a person that is a candidate for a fully remote role, um, or is this a role that lends itself to a fully remote role, or is this a role that is better suited for a hybrid role um, or an in-person role if, if hybrid work isn't uh, isn't available um, because of the uh, nature of the job? Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you actually about um, you know the different sectors and how different roles and different job sectors entirely might lend themselves to you know hybrid or even remote working. But, you know, for those types of roles that are suited for hybrid and remote working, obviously, you know, now we're living in such a different age. Do you think or expect even hybrid working to feature prominently in the long run? Or do you think it's going to kind of fizzle out as we as we exit post pandemic? Um, I believe that remote. Well, let me let me put it this way. I think that hybrid work is here to stay. I also think that uh, for those who set up this remote working environment um, intentionally and skillfully, that uh, remote work is here to stay as well. Um, Again, for all of the reasons that we discussed, one, um, it provides more flexibility to the employee. It widens the talent pool. And, you know, we often talk about... um, the return to normal. Um, uh, we see that terminology everywhere. And so my my comment there is, what normal are we talking about? We are, and we have throughout the last two and a half, three years, redefined what normal looks like. And there is no return to pre to the pre-pandemic normal, because we've figured out during the pandemic that these different ways of working actually yield substantially similar results. And in some industries, we've actually seen productivity rise as a result of the additional flexibility that we have provided people. So uh, are those concepts here to stay? My prediction is, yes, absolutely. Do we have to redefine how we um, execute against these new workplace um, environments as HR leaders? Yes, absolutely. Um, So, you know, ending on that positive note, I guess, thank you uh, so much for coming on the podcast. It was really great to have, have you on. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's really great talking to you today. Great. Thank you. If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. So, you know, the whole concept surrounding employee experience has really gained traction since working styles changed because of the pandemic. What do you think some expectations are that employees now have of their employer, now that they maybe didn't have before the pandemic? And how could we possibly balance these employer and employee expectations? Okay, well, quite quite big questions, but I'll probably start with the most important. I think since the pandemic, definitely employees from, from many sectors, many industries are, are looking for much more flexibility, but flexibility that's led with trust from their employers. Um, 
the research actually some of the Citrix papers has shown that actually 70% um, want the experience since the pandemic to really show leadership, which is led with empathy. So I think alongside that flexibility and trust, it's also empathy that's much more critical to us. I think the balance for employees and employers is employers need to focus much more now on being outcome-based. So what are the outcomes that their employees are achieving? How do they measure them? And really to shift away from this, you know, about presenteeism, the hours people are in an office or working. And I think that that would then obviously um, complement the empathy and the well-being of our employers. From the research we've done recently, 28%, which is, you know, I think a lot higher than it would have been a couple of years ago, are reviewing flexibility as more important than actually salary and the package they have with roles that they're picking to stay at or, or move to. So I think a big, big answer, but I think since the pandemic, you know, we have a bigger role to play as employers um, and we have to be really realistic that employees are looking for work to complement their lives much more. Right. I think before the pandemic, I'd say work was kind of the centre point and we fitted all the, the personal, private hobbies, needs, etc. around work. And, and that's shifted um, because people have learned that they can work differently and be still effective and get some really good outcomes. Mm. so is that moving on then what do you think about this concept of the four-day working week you know there's one currently being trialed across I think it's 70 UK companies do you think it's a viable way of you know not only integrating workers back into the office but also perhaps you know a permanent way of working this four-day week I think it's a huge milestone so I've, I've been reading a lot about it actually on, on, on the web as well and the, and the research I think it could be I think first acknowledging Four-day week wouldn't maybe work for every industry, you know, if, if you're more service-led yes. hospitals. But in areas where, you know, it could work, I think it's a, a great step forward. Again, going back to the point I said before, it, it would help attract and retain talent. But also we know the four-day week, and there has been more smaller research in the past, but it can help in terms of better well-being, much more improvement in, in terms of their outcomes and focus. That's a lot of the research is showing us that people are more focused if they're doing the four day week and, and you know, more connected to the company. They feel more loyal. It's giving them something more in return and it's moving away from more of that traditional you know, Monday to Friday, nine till five thirty work, which, again, is a motivation for employees. And you find yeah. that they give back more to the companies. And some of the research we've seen on that is a. From the Citric research, seven, I think it was 76% of the respondents globally said they would work a four-day week. Obviously, they'd like to maintain their salaries still. Yes. Um, but to overlay that, 71% you know, plan to work in the office only between one and four days a week. You know, that, that's three quarters don't want to go back to an office space full time. Well, I think it's an exciting time for HR precisely because of how much is changing. Um, but, you know, thank you so much, Jane, for coming on. It's been, it's been really great having you on. Oh, thank you. And I've really enjoyed thank it. You. Thank you. HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.